0: This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 109, Reinstating
1: Your CFI and Flying Drones, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast.
0: Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast and Happy Thanksgiving uh, to those in the United States that uh, celebrate Thanksgiving and to all those throughout the world. We are so thankful for so many things and uh, this is just after the holiday so we are stuffed just like the turkeys that we had or would that make us the turkeys? I'm not quite sure (laughs) but uh, joining us this evening uh, are some special co-hosts. We do have, of course, uh, Rick Felty. Welcome, Rick. Hello, hello. And uh, Larry Overstreet Hello from Milwaukee And uh, Tom Frick from sunny Florida Hello, hello And we also have Eric Crump from central Florida
2: Hello, I know you forgot I was on the podcast, but I'm back. (laughs) We're so happy to have him back. I don't think they did because we made fun of you every time you weren't on. Good, good. It's Eric Crump from Bucolic Central Florida. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Wow, did you tell him? Bucolic. (laughs) (laughs) He heard that one. Never live that one down. Yeah.
1: And amazingly enough, I yes, I'm right here in Bucolic, New Jersey. I'm getting ready to start a trip down to uh West Palm Beach tomorrow, and I can't wait to get down there and enjoy the sunshine again. It's it's quite chilly. Actually, it it's unseasonably warm up here, yeah, but it's quite sunny. chilly for me. Uh and, and you you speaking uh Rick from the yeah. the Boston area. It's it's yeah, cold so it was up 65
0: there. 65 here today. Oh, wow. That's so, that's yeah. nice. The winter moths are building a little Little building in our backyard. <laughs> quite happy tonight. Yeah, yeah so my wife shocking. decided
2: it was be a good idea if we opened the windows today because it was such a beautiful day. So we opened the windows up around two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. She goes, It's getting kinda hot in here, so we had to close the windows and turn the air back on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's Florida in November. Let's do the
1: pre-flight. Well, gosh, I just came back from Orlando and I was doing my recurrent training for the airlines. I have a job for another twelve months. And uh, which means I passed. Yay. And it's interesting because some of the topics we're going to talk about tonight are some of the things that we went over during that recurrent training. And gosh, it was colder in Florida than it is here up in New Jersey. So uh, I was out there just shivering, shivering on my way down to the simulator, which, uh, by the way, was just an exciting event. We'll talk about that. A little bit later. Uh, also, as far as any upcoming events and any announcements, if you have any, please write to us. Uh, contact at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com or just go to the contact page. If you want us to make an announcement for you or announce somebody uh, finishing their pilot certificate, etc., we'd love to hear from you. So, uh, and we'd love to do a shout out to anybody that uh, has actually finished up a rating. Or somebody that actually has uh, gotten to a point in their rating where they've passed a certain check ride, a stage check, etc. We'd like to point those people out. Love to promote general aviation. This is a, a a podcast about you know living to fly, loving to fly, and learning to fly. We actually you know live and breathe. Aviation every day. I had such an exciting time, by the way, flying a bunch of uh, kids down to Florida. And I thought that was just the neatest thing, uh, getting a child up into the cockpit and taking a photo. Uh, that that pretty much makes my job. It's the greatest job in the world when I get to do that. And I know, uh, Tom, you've had some exciting times flying people around and uh, and taking people for rides around the Tampa Bay area. And there's nothing better, better than sharing the joy of flight. Now entering cruise flight. But this evening, we have somebody really special with us, uh, somebody we've had on the podcast before and uh, has become, become a friend. He's, uh, we met by a, a challenging conversation I think we had online at one point, and uh, it was interesting how this, this friendship has built. He, he is somebody who is truly passionate about aviation. And uh, he's involved with, with aviation ever since he was young, and he's been an air traffic controller, has worked as an investigator. He's a senior investigator with the NTSB. He's also a drone pilot extraordinaire. We're going to talk a little bit about that, and also a commercial drone operator. And he is a flight instructor. Bill English, welcome to the podcast.
3: Oh, thanks a lot, Carl. Good to be back joining us um I guess we're a gathering of turkeys now, right? No, yes, gobble, gobble. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yep. good to be back to be a repeat offender.
1: Yeah. We're, we're really happy to have you. You know, Bill, you're one of these people in aviation that, uh, you know, truly, absolutely loves aviation. And you never let the grass grow under your feet. That is for sure. Uh, first of all, congratulations on reinstating, reinstating your flight instructor certificate. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Yeah, how long has it been since you've actually used your flight instructor certificate?
3: Wow. So let's see. If I look back, the certificate, it expired uh, February of 2009. And, but I wasn't actively instructing at that time. You know, I think I did you know, a refresher clinic two years before that. So it's been at least 10 years since I'd been doing any kind of instructing at all. You know, prior to that, it was a little bit here and there. It was in a flight, um, uh, an aircraft club, a flying club. So I did some instruction for those guys then. But yeah, most of my instruction, act actively as a CFI, was more more than that ago. Probably uh, roughly 20 years ago is when I was actively instructing. Kept it up for a while. Um, like you know, like you mentioned, I've had some career changes and I moved here. Well, where I am now in D.C. You know, part time I'm near some of you Florida guys, but not tonight. You know, moved here um, when I got the job at the NTSB in 1999, and kept kept flying. And then things got busy. And of course, you know, after 9/11, it got very difficult to fly around the DC area. So that you know, kind of uh, slumped off a little bit there. And I let it go, let it go, got busy with the job, and eventually did that stupidest thing you can do in aviation. I let the CFI expire. So, so maybe for your listeners, don't necessarily understand that your Pilots' license, your private pilot, commercial pilot certificates, they don't expire. Once you get it, it's the certificate is good unless you know you do something bad and the FAA takes it away, or you you, know, you turn it back in for some reason. Your pilot's license lasts forever. The flight instructor certificate is different. It actually does expire if you do not uh, maintain certain um, criteria for 24 months, and you can renew. In 24 months, a number of ways, sign off uh, a certain percentage of students or what a lot of people do is take a a certain course. They call it Flight Instructor Refresher Clinic. You do that course, successfully pass, you get your, um, your certificate renewed. If, like me, you blow it off, then it turns into a pumpkin and you are no longer a flight instructor and then you have to go through the reinstatement process.
1: Well, Bill, if you remember uh, how we got started in this conversation months ago about reinstating your pilot certificate, you had asked me about this, about the fact that uh, you saw online uh in the forums and uh actually I'm putting a blog post out about this now how to reinstate your flight instructor certificate some people are under the perception that if there is expires that they actually have to do a practical test or or there's a practical test required and a written test required I should say uh but that's actually for people with the older flight instructors uh, ratings that are actually on their pilot certificate. Uh, just, just to clarify, there's two different certificates. There's a pilot certificate and your flight instructor certificate, but some folks have those, a limited flight instructor rating on their pilot certificate or actually a flight instructor rating on their pilot certificate there. So that was, I think, part of that question. So let's go back to that original question and maybe clarify it.
0: Sure.
3: That's uh, a, that's a good point. There's a lot of, like you say, misunderstanding out there online. So, um, the uh I, I don't know when this changed. It was before my time that a long time uh, ago. yeah, yeah <laughs> that the rating that there was a flight instructor rating. But I suppose there probably are some people around it still have that. If that's what you have, you do need to basically start again, take a written test and a, and a practical test, and you'll get a new flight instructor certificate the way most of us in the last twenty five years or more have uh, have gone where you have a commercial pilot certificate or maybe an ATP and then a separate flight instructor certificate. you actually have two um, two cards uh, in your in your possession. So what I had was what I think most people are familiar with and most people have now is the flight instructor certificate. to renew that or to reinstate that and I, I should be very careful here because the words are similar, renew is what you do when you, sign off enough students or um, add another rating to it if you happen to, or you um, do the flight instructor refresher clinic. It's just, again, refreshing what you already have. nothing expired. you just did it within 24 months and you just keep on going. Um, you go beyond the 24 and that's the reinstatement. In this case, what you need to do is there's a there's a whole uh, section of uh, part 61 that talks about that. It's 61 the reinstatement requirements uh, for the expired flight instructor certificate. Um, what the uh, the person needs to do then is, I, and I like this, this is so, you know, it's at FAR, of course, right? So <laughs> I'll, I'll quote it, I have it up in front of me. Uh, May reinstate by filing a completed and signed application with the FAA and satisfactory completing... A practical test, so the paperwork has to come first. Um, the paperwork always comes first, right? right. <laughs> uh, but, but in fact, you take the you take the practical test first. No written test is required. Um, it is a practical test for any one of the ratings that is on your flight instructor certificate. Uh, reinstates everything. So, in my case, I had CFI, CFI and multi-engine instructor. So all I had to do is take one of those tests and it reinstates all of them. So I did the double I, um, not for any particular special reason other than I can use a simple airplane for that and it's cheaper. Um, I'm sure the flight school would be perfectly happy you know, to rent me their twin Comanche for a small fee, but <laughs> it's a lot easier to do it in a Cherokee. So um, just do one of those and um, you're reinstated. The Practical test standards for reinstatement is a little bit um, fewer requirements than for an initial uh, check ride. They leave out most of the FOI and then there's fewer tasks. If you look in the PTS, it, it outlines what that is. So basically, I guess I'd say I can talk about the experience of doing it, but I'd, let's go right up front. For folks who maybe they read about this online and they or what they hear around the hangar, say, oh, if you let your flight instructor expire, it's so, so onerous to get it back. It's so much work. Not at all. Uh, it really isn't. And I, I would say if you're listening and that's happened to you for whatever reason, maybe, you know, just life, family, work, finances, you let your CFI expire and you're thinking about getting it back. It is not nearly as difficult as they make it out to be. It's not that onerous a process. It can be done with a designated pilot examiner. You don't have to go, you know, go to the FISDO. And you only need to do one of those practical tests. And it's a great way to relearn what you've been away from. I, I, I know that was, was great for me because I'd been really out of general aviation for a while. And and really bringing more instructors back into the fold, back into GA. It's you guys talked about the Rusty uh, Pilot Program, I think, a little while ago, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, this is just this one level up, Rusty CFIs. Let's bring you that's back great. too. You know,
1: that's awesome. It is awesome there. Well, one one question I have for you though is that you let's get a little more specific as far as sure. what you did to prepare for this, because there is a bunch of people out there listening. I know I get some of the emails. They let their pilot, their CFI. Certificate expire. I work with a bunch of those folks and they say there's no way I can do this Uh, So I I want to make really clear to these folks what the process was how long it took you and Maybe how much it how much it cost you because you're talking many years since you've really been into flight instructing So if you can maybe give us an idea because most people gonna do what you did Go out and get renew their flight instructor certificate either with their glider or their single engine
3: sure Um, well, I, I guess I can do some of that, but, of course, I'm, I'm probably not your average flight instructor that got away from it either because, obviously, through my day job, I've stayed involved in aviation, you know, normally on the, you know, the big airplane side and more of the engineering side, but still stayed you know, in, involved, so somewhat knew what was going on. But I've been pretty much away from general aviation for a long time. And, of course, getting an Embraer type rating in the middle of it helped a little bit too. But I I don't recommend that for the cost savings part, however. (laughs) Uh, But but it really didn't take that much. I actually started – before I did any of that – actually, it's your fault, Carl. You got me started in here and then – Of course, um, blame me. Of course. And uh, (laughs) the – you know and and I'd just been thinking about it for a while. Like I started getting the time, and you know, my wife pushed on me too. She's like, "You're always talking about flying. Every time we're outside on the golf course, you're always looking up at the airplanes, right? So why don't you do it?" So uh, I said, "Well, what I'll do is I'll just start and see. I'll get recurrent, just just to fly. You know, just do my my three landings in ninety days, just to fly an airplane again. See if I still you know like it or care about it. Well, and you know what happened there. You know." I'm, less than an hour into a flight in a in an old 172 it was like riding a bicycle and i was hooked oh yeah okay i'm coming back so and discussions you know with you and then i talked to the 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 chief instructor at the school i'm not going to name any names or any locations but um because i don't want it to sound like endorsement you know because of my day job but um so i talked to the the chief instructor there and i said well this is what i'd like to do and i said maybe someday uh you know down the road i'll get instrument car and i said maybe i'd like to I'm um, just, you know, re, uh, reinstate my flight instructor certificate. And he said, well, what do you really want to do? He said, do you have a trip next weekend where you need to be instrument current for it? I said, no, not really. So he was very matter of fact about it. I said, well, it's not that hard. Let's get your flight instructor back. Go for it. And I thought, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. We, we looked over what the requirements are. And you know the old saying, best way to learn something is is to teach it. So I'll get back into learning how to teach it. And that's a great way to learn all these things that I'd missed out on over the past just about 10 years. Uh, those of you guys who have been in it, maybe it goes slow and, and you haven't seen the things that have changed. But you get away from it and you come back after 10 years and, well, there's all these different things that change. So, so I started out with um, – I basically just checked out in an airplane or two at the school, basic airplanes, 172 and, a, and an Archer, uh, just to get flying again. That was you know maybe three hours and uh, got in the right seat pretty quickly. Uh, I seemed to remember how to land from the right seat. So we were okay there. And uh, all total, it was a long process because of my schedule. I got interrupted in the middle. Um, but even doing that, it probably took – five or six flights. Um, it, it, if you did it intensely, five or six flights would easily do it. Um, our, the school that I, I worked at, They ha- or I worked with, had a um, uh, sort of a syllabus. They called it the the double-I boot camp to, to train their guys that were regular just plain CFIs up to double-I. So I said, well, let's just go through that. And, and it went faster, of course, because I'd already been there, but... So we went through that, broke it down into five or six modules, and I'll try to pull it up and uh, remember what they were. But it's what you would imagine, the basic attitude, flying, and then you get into, uh, into some emergencies and then uh, um, you know, the holds some non-precision, and non-precision, et cetera, et cetera, just like working through the instrument curriculum. So we do these modules, and then in this case, though, I would be teaching them as I was flying them to make sure I could still do that from from the right seat so so some of it was was pretty basic I mean just teach the attitude flying and I was pleased to see that you know control performance has come has come roaring back to the fore and uh, as the uh, primary method of uh, attitude instrument flying so that was pretty easy and then the thing that I really needed to uh, get into but a lot of it was homework is the changes I iPad flying did not exist when I was flying in uh, general aviation seven years ago, ten years ago. It's, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. Rick, you probably know. When did the iPad come in? It, it was barely five years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so there was no such thing. Now everybody and his brother, you know, has foreflight and the Stratus and all these other things, which I understand them. I mean, I know what an EFB is from the the airline world, but in the GA world, all that was new. Uh, the uh, the, the glass GPS in general aviation airplanes was brand new when I got away from it. I had flown a little bit behind a, gla- a G1000 airplane, uh, Diamond Star and some others. But uh, now that it, it's percolated down, as you guys know, into just about everything. So uh, LPV approaches, all the different uh, um, GPS approaches now that we have available in uh, GA, that was, that was new. Again, intellectually, I knew about it, but I hadn't done it. Um, and then I had to learn all the, the regulatory changes that had come around in 10 years. Uh, this, so this was ground school, oral type of stuff. Uh, um, you know, we went through the, the hours. The hours have changed. We sat around doing our you know, prep for the oral, and the uh, instructor was asked, you know, so, okay, tell me you know, how many hours do we need for this and that. And,
0: you know, and I mentioned,
3: oh, yeah, 125 hours minimum for, uh, you know, for instrument rating. And he looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and I said, what? I said, what is that wrong? He said, I think that went away nine years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, well, okay, I got it right, but it was nine-year-old information. So I had to make sure I got those numbers squared away. Uh, oh, and uh, ATDs, Redbirds, didn't exist when I was flying before. And now, you know, they've worked into the, the basic Part 61 curriculum you know, full motion flight sims and ATDs, all those different hours. So there was a lot of that to catch up on, but that, you know, that was mostly book work. So I'd say, uh, cost wise, I don't know, it depends on whatever it costs you for maybe a half a dozen hours of dual in a basic airplane. Again, it depends what is on your certificate. If you were just a, um, I think the way the regulation works, I mean, adding a new rating. Um, would also work, but then you'd have to be, you know, you'd add that rating, so you have to do the written test and the full PTS and all that. So it depends what you want to do. If you're a plain vanilla CFI, you do the the basic CFI checkride again, you know, with slightly reduced, or by adding another flight instructor rating, that would also renew all of your stuff. So the cost could be highly variable there, because, you know, you might have to use a complex airplane. If you're going to do the uh, the initial rating, initial flight instructor rating, you need to show some maneuvers in a complex airplane. Whereas with double I, you can do that in a in a very basic basic airplane. So it can so save some save some money that way.
1: To to just understand correctly, then yeah. you renewed your instrument instructor certificate.
3: Re- well, I took a practical test for the instrument instructor rating, which renewed uh. my entire flight instructor certificate.
1: Very good. I could have picked
3: any, I could have picked any one of the three. Just pick one, take a practical test and it renews all of them. Right. And
1: that's an important point. I'm glad you, you stated it that way. And that's, and that's what I usually tell people that have been flying for the airlines that if you want to reinstate, do that, do exactly what you did because, Mm -hmm. and that would be another question. Do you feel that having all this experience with the airlines, Uh, pointed you in that direction to do that?
3: Well, I I always liked being an instrument instructor best anyway. That was mostly what I did. Um, And a lot of my background is in instrument procedures and everything. So it naturally came that way anyhow. And plus, I'm from New England and I'm really cheap. So that also steered me in that (laughs) direction. Uh, But uh, I would say, yes, for an airline pilot, that's going to be a very easy thing to do because it's – you know, it, your attitude instrument flying, you're doing things you do every day, right? F- holding patterns, approaches, and um, and things like that. So it, there's not really going to be that much in there. Your airline pri- pilot is probably not generally doing eights on pylons, so hopefully you know, not. Right. So you know, to to study up for that for an initial would probably be counterproductive. So although maybe the multi the multi might work good for a, an airline oh, pilot. Sure. Maybe you know a lot of. I know a lot of airline pilots have, you know, small light twins anyway, so you're already current in it. That would be a way to do it.
1: Yeah, the captains do. The, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, this this comes to a great point here, and I, I think you touched on it in the beginning. And I'd, I'd like to maybe hear from some of the other folks, but why – and I'll let you think about this for a second. Why? Why would you – Why would you want to become a CFI? Why would you want to reinstate your CFI after all these years? I I, I know as you're thinking, for me, honestly, I know everybody says, oh, it's the technical size, the challenge, et cetera. But but honestly, the reason I I really like instructing is for the smiles. I, I love to see the smiles on my students' faces when they actually complete a task and they do something well and they get a rating. So you know, what are some of the reasons that you decided to do that? And if someone's thinking about it, why would they?
3: Well, you know, for me, I, it's a it's a give back. I mean, like you said, I've been I've been in aviation pretty much my entire adult life, and and, and in a lot of ways, it's just another facet of what I do anyway. I mean, that's what we try to do with uh, you know my day job with safety investigations is try to bring you know bring that information to to the aviation community, make things a little better. And this is a more more personal way of doing that same thing and and using some of what I've ended up learning and benefiting from a lot of the people I've worked with for going on 30 years now. Um, I, can, I can bring that back and, and give that back in a personal way to some people.
1: I think that's great that you're doing that, that you're giving back. And that's uh, I would love to see more people do that, more airline pilots, especially the folks that are listening right now that are airline pilots because uh, I know you're into GA and you like to go to the air shows and you're flying your airplanes, but I really I really think that that part of it, giving back, is really important. It, you know, some people have this fear, though, and you have a job uh, that might be at risk while you're a CFI possibly and teaching somebody in, in an airplane. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. You know, there's there's a lot of people that are involved in aviation, no matter what they're into, say they're airline pilots, et cetera. But they actually represent the company or the organization or the government organization first. And then their flight instructors after that. Uh, What type of challenges are there for for those individuals? For me, obviously, it's I have to get approval from the airline I work for. What other challenges are there for folks like yourself that work for the government?
3: Uh, it's it's pretty much the same thing we have an ethics hoops that we have to jump through before we can um instruct professionally so same deal you have to make sure that you're not you know misrepresenting your your employer and then uh well then there's the other side of it too bad we don't have victoria here we could talk about the insurance side of it and uh, protecting your your assets and and your other um you know if you're freelancing you know your other uh, connections if you have a business or whatever
1: right right Hmm. and that's that's something that really I think most people won't do, is because they're so afraid of violating uh, airspace, et cetera. I hear that over and over and over again. Did that go through your mind when you started flying general aviation again? Well,
3: a little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you know, I, I don't want to be the. Uh, I, I don't mind if I just crash and immediately expire. It's, it's the embarrassment of ground looping and climbing out of the airplane wearing my NTSB shirt. That right there, that would be the end of it. Uh, but uh, yeah, obviously there's... Uh, you know... <laughs>
1: that, that's a quote right there. <laughs> I, I have uh, a visual it. image.
3: Yeah, you do, yeah, I stay away from tail draggers. Uh, but uh, yeah, clearly there, there's that. And, and as it stands right now, I'm not professionally flight instructing i I don't know what yet I'm going to do with the certificate now that I've renewed it other than not let it expire again um, so you know those are some of the uh, the thoughts uh, that I have to go through about um, doing that there are plenty of people who do instruct on the side work for my agency I know people who work for the FAA that instruct on the side other government I mean we're in the dc area there's there's feds from all sorts of different agencies that are Active pilots and flight instructors, so we go through the loops and add the hoops, and we deal with it. And you know, sometimes there there are uh, things that can go wrong, but I mean, I guess that's true of anything in life. So you can't just, you know, you can't live your life worrying about that stuff. I guess.
1: Right, right, that's yeah. for sure. And, yeah. and but but I think we're more vigilant, though. Uh, you know that when we're when we're working for another company, especially because that's our primary employment, and, and then we, we we're really really careful about. You know what we do, and uh, we—I <clears throat> know I do. I know all the other professional pilots do the same. So uh, sure, but this—this this is some—I tell you, this is some great stuff, and I'm so glad you're doing this. But you brought up one more point: keep that CFI, go out there and do the renewals. And keep keep moving on. You can go online and do those online renewals. Get involved in the FA Safety program. They have some renewal programs. There's uh, FA Safety.gov. There's your local chapters, your CFI chapters. There's some really really cool organizations out there that do uh, do FERCS and uh, flight instructor refresher clinics where you can renew that CFI. Uh, so definitely, if you're you have your CFI, hang on to it. Well, you know, you had mentioned something, Bill, while you were talking about your CFI. <clears throat> you said something in there about getting uh, your Embraer type rating. Did I hear? Uh, what What was that all about? You You just recently. Uh, well, tell me, what aircraft did you do it in?
3: Right. So it's the uh, the type ratings the one seventy one ninety. They come together. So it's it's the one seventy. It's what you do it in. And then differences. That's the uh, the the larger of the Embraer products, the 170, 175, 190, 195 line. Um, that came from work. We, uh, they, Every year they um, put a couple people through type ratings to keep us, you know, up on the latest technology. And, uh, and I came up in the barrel this year, and, and that was part of what inspired me to get, knock some rust off too. I said, I guess if, uh, if I'm going to do this, I better remember, you know, how to keep the blue side up. So that helped me, uh, you know, get to knock the rust off. So did that with uh, – Again, we're not going to name names. I don't want to, you know, sound like endorsing things, but a, a major training vendor and uh, went through the part 142, which is like what corporate uh, folks would go through. It would be a little different than what, you know, you see it at the airline um, uh, training program and completed the, the type rating for the e One Seventy One Ninety. How long did that take? So, uh, so I was at the training facility for a little less than a month. And did a lot of ground study, probably about a month of ground study before that.
1: Cool. You know, I I, I know there's a lot of people thinking right now that'd be really cool to get your type rating, uh, especially in like a 170, 190. Uh, I was actually sitting in the cockpit of a 190 uh, this morning, and it was it's pretty cool. I mean, there there's all sorts of neat glass LCD panels and all. But but one thing that's different, if anybody's been in an Embraer, is that it's got these little ram's horn uh, yoke mounted in the center. Uh, that must be a, that took a little getting used to. I'm assuming.
3: I, you know, I thought it would, and it it really didn't. It, it's actually very very comfortable. Right. I found, yeah, well, that's
1: cool. Yeah, yeah I, I found uh, doing crosswind landings with that. Uh, depending on which way you're going, uh, it, it it's a little bit discomforting when when it's a really strong crosswind. But uh, but now this, you had someone pay for it. There are people that have that kind of money that want to go out and do their type ratings. And there are scholarships, by the way, <laughs> that you can get your uh, type rating in. And uh, a, a quick plug, aerospace aerospacescholarships.com. We, we have actually 737 and uh, and um, Airbus type ratings. Uh, it's ac- It's something that I highly encourage people to try, is to try to get these scholarships. I talked to a lady who won the 737 type rating scholarship and actually never used it. Uh, because oh. she got hired with an airline, said, "Hey, I don't have time to do it." Uh-huh. I was like, "Wow!" But that, it's it's a neat process. It's something that uh, if if you took a general aviation pilot, Bill, and you told them, you know, go, I, I think you can get your type rating. What do, do you think that's true? Do you think uh, an average, say, instrument rated pilot could get their type rating?
3: Yeah, I'd say you uh, you definitely want to be up on the instrument skills. You have got to stay ahead of the airplane. It's um, you know, it's fast paced. Training is fast. Um, you know, to make sure you have the background and a general understanding of, um, systems in, uh, in sophisticated airplanes, you know, you're going to get that in ground school. And as you well know, Carl, you, you go through this and your transition and you're recurrent, I'm sure. So it's, it's bang, bang, bang through, um, Really understanding everything in the airplane—the power plants, electrical, hydraulic, ECS, uh, pneumatic systems, um, performance of the airplane—and it, you don't really have time to sit and absorb. So make sure you have good background in that, so you can learn the specifics on the airplane because that's what they're teaching you—is that airplane. They're not teaching you what a hydraulic system is. They're teaching you the hydraulic system of this airplane. So it's pretty fast-paced, um, and then same when you get into the the sim. Uh, things are, you probably see the maneuvers that you're going to see on the check ride once or twice. So, uh, yeah, be up on your instrument procedures. Uh, obviously you've got to already be, be multi and I would say be pretty fresh in that. Um, and it's, it's definitely an exercise in staying ahead of the airplane, but boy, do you feel ahead of the airplane when you're done with it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot yeah. of folks out there that yeah. that get type ratings. You know, and yeah. and they uh, they get them in like B twenty fives and and that type of thing. And there, some of these guys are are gals yeah. or private pilots.
3: Oh yeah, and and when when, uh, when when I was there, there was a a group from I forgot where it was. It was a, it was a Middle Eastern country, but some pilots that went through. It wasn't really an admonitio program per se, but uh, you know, one of these structured training programs, and they were getting into the the 170 with something like 300 hours but they had been just all of those 300 hours had been training so they went progressively right up from their you know the basic training and i think they were flying king airs right before they got to the to the 170 and and they did fine no no problems
1: yeah we we like to think that you know we're, we're quote unquote sky gods or something but you know if you've got great instrument skills there's no reason you can't jump in and get a type rating do you agree with that
3: that yeah i'd say that sure Cool,
1: cool. Well, hey, congratulations on that, too. I mean, here sure. you go. You got a type rating. Uh, you renewed your flight instructor certificate. You've uh, By doing that, by getting your type rating, you now have completed your flight review, or you've used something that will subs- substitute for your flight review. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of people don't realize you can do those things. You can get a new certificate to do that, to, to actually uh, complete your flight review and also the WINGS program um but that 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 looks that actually is such a it's such a cool thing if you can just go to one of those centers because i know they give out these certificates and just just actually get a chance to to play in those simulators because they're they're pretty slick they're so realistic i just got out of the simulator a few days ago and uh they just upgraded the the visuals and you could actually see the person on the ground picking up a piece of paper off the ground it was pretty wild oh that's pretty cool. wild stuff and uh, as i taxied out actually i looked at one of the buildings at the airports and i said hey that's where my brother works and uh, you can actually see the building that he worked in neat stuff <clears> though real neat stuff well that's cool Stop. you know bill that, that was awesome man and uh the you know the i i think what's amazing about you bill is number one you got your cfi <laughs> renewed and then you go out and you get your typewriting while you're getting the cfi renewed. And I remember calling you, say, Hey, let's go let's go out and have dinner and, and you're like, Oh no, I'm kinda busy. I'm I'm out flying the drones today and I was like, We were doing what? And uh what's interesting about Bill is that he's uh someone who has also, like myself, embraced drones. Uh and, and I know, you know, Eric Crump at Polk State College, they have they have really embraced the technology of drones. Uh but you you've gone even further, I think because it's your hobby Uh, That you've you've gone into it and became a commercial operator. Uh, So we actually we kind of touched on this last episode. And since you know a lot more about the commercial operating certificate under the drones uh, or or unmanned aircraft systems, tell us a little bit about what that is and what we talk about the triple three and all.
3: Okay, uh, sure. <laughs> so something else I can do for the next 24 months. Is I did everything this fall, and I'm good for 24 <laughs> months on all of them. I could just relax and sit on the beach for two years. But um, so the commercial drone, uh, I guess the best word, it's not a certificate. Um, authorization or approval, I guess, are the best words. And that's section, that's 333, what everybody talks about. So let's go back to the basics for listeners that might not really um, – get how this works the uh in 2012 uh the fa reauthorization act that's a law came out and uh, basically uh, uh, moved the faa towards incorporating unmanned aircraft into the airspace and gave them certain conditions as to how to do that um, they divide for practical purposes unmanned aircraft into two uh, sort of categories one being um those that are operated just for hobby and recreational use, just you know, flying around in the park, whatever. And then those that are other than hobby and recreational use, you need to have, you need to be able to meet the FARs if you're going to fly other than for hobby and recreational use. So Congress said to the FAA, okay, you can't, you can't make rules on the hobbyists. All you can, you know, you can only, you know, deal with careless and reckless operation. And I'm sure you guys have talked about the the old the Perker case and everything. So we're not going to go into that right now. Um, the other part of it is Section 333 of that law. So for the lawyers in the audience, it's public law 112-95. That's the FAA Reauthorization Act. Section 333 of that law told the FAA, while you're working on a set of regulations for – non-hobbyist use of unmanned aircraft get something going right away that's what section 333 is it's an avenue for people to start using small UAS for commercial purposes or educational or research and development anything that's not a hobby right while we await forthcoming regulations so this is a way to do it what it is is it's an avenue and a method for the operator to state to the FAA how they will safely mitigate those federal re- av- aviation regulations that you can't otherwise meet with a drone. And there's a suggested list of them. I'd have to find them in here, but but it's the pretty obvious ones. I mean, there's certain things, obviously, see and avoid you can't do. There's certain things about, uh, you know, carriage of documents that you you can't do um you're generally in a small U.S. you're not going to have a transponder you can't have lights etc cetera, etc cetera. well not can't have lights but you don't have lights like a regular aircraft etc cetera, etc cetera. there's all these things that you um no practical way to meet the regulations with a small drone so section 333 gives you this avenue as to how to do it and i'll I can pull up mine um, and see all the different uh, regulations. Actually, anybody can pull up mine. It's all public on the um, on the web. But it, you basically list all the different regulations that you can't um, specifically meet, and then how will you meet them? And if you do that, the FAA says okay, then you can fly under certain conditions. So it's this is your airworthiness equivalent. It's your um, airman certificate uh, equivalent. You don't need a commercial pilot's license to do this. You need only a, I think they've gone all the way down to recreational pilot now. So once you go through all those hoops, the FAA will then approve you uh, to be able to use the drone for commercial purposes. And they issue a certificate of authorization, the COA, C-O-A. And that allows you access to the airspace. And there's conditions on that. It's the first one they give you is what they call the blanket COA. You can't go near airports. You can't go in restricted airspace and various other things. can't go above 200 feet, but it gets you started. And then if you need more specific things, you apply for other um, COAs after that. Um, so that was kind of the broad overview of what Triple what 3 is all about. I think as of today, there's 2,400 um, commercial operators out there, almost all doing aerial imagery of some kind or another. And that's, that's what mine is for, as well, for R&D and accident investigation purposes.
1: So that the, makes you sense. Went, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That was awesome. Um, great, great explanation. Boil it down. Uh, this The COA, though, say you want to go out and use that drone in a restricted area, and that restricted area is restricted due to an accident, but you want to use this for imaging purposes, uh, would you go to the FAA for a waiver, or would you go to the issuing authority uh, and get a waiver from them, or something else put on your authorization?
3: Right, yes, you need, it, it all depends on what uh, type of airspace it is that you need it to go into, so, um, so anything that's outside that generic blanket COA that you get. I mean anywhere near an airport, whether it's restricted airspace or not, any airport at all, if I wanted to operate within certain amount of mileage of the airport, I would need to have a specific COA for that operation. So you go back to the FAA for that. And then now they're not they're not waiving all the other stuff. You already have that. They're just looking at this one specific thing for okay, for this amount of time, you're gonna operate in a certain location, and then what is your what is your safety mitigation? In, you know, to say it's okay for you to do that. You'll, for example, maintain two-way communication with the tower or, I mean, for our case, for an accident, it's, it, it, it's kind of a circular because we put up the TFR anyway. So um, that would be one way to do it. And that's how a lot of the uh, search and rescue or the um, other disaster response folks do it. There's a temporary flight restriction that's put up um, at the request of that First responder agency, and then they will operate inside their own TFR for the time that they need it to keep other, you know, other aircraft away, that sort of thing. But it's it's the FAA, and they have a specific office that that uh, deals with the uh, the coas.
1: Right. The uh, what's interesting is the twenty four hundred you mentioned, or whatever it is today. I wonder how many are actually uh, for use at universities and research facilities, uh, and how many are for the educational purposes. And uh, I guess. Do you know the numbers there no i th-
3: I've seen some breakdown somewhere, but it's relatively easy to do. You can get onto the the f a website and um there's a section that's three thirty three authorizations and they're all listed right. and you could probably do a pretty quick word search and find out uh at least a rough idea of um universities.
1: Yeah, I wonder, Eric. I know, I know you were somewhat involved in this process, uh, and and are getting involved with drones. Do you have any idea how many, uh, what the percentages are?
2: I have no idea what the number is. I just did a quick search on the FAA's website, actually, um, and got uh, 361 results. Okay. Um, out of the 2400 that it says are in there now, yeah. um, This is you're getting live it, research from me here. And then yeah. there's. There's 300, oddly 300 with the keyword college and 641 with the keyword university. So um, that doesn't mean that all of those are individual applications, in some cases, multiple applications because one got rejected and one came back in. So I wouldn't say you're looking at a thousand, you know, half of the requests being from education, but um, it's probably somewhere pretty close to that because right. it's not just um, education for the purpose of training, it's also um, like Bill mentioned for R&D, there's a lot of research being done uh, in the areas of uh, sense and avoid and see and avoid and things like that that the universities are taking the lead on. So uh, is, it, is it half? Probably not, but it's, mm. it's probably pretty close to that.
3: And you've got a bunch in there, too, that are the state universities can operate as public aircraft, so it wouldn't even show up in this list because they'll operate under public aircraft regulations and don't need a triple three.
1: Right. Interesting. So, Interesting. Yeah. Eric, now now that we have you, are you what's going on at, at your school at Polk State with or anything you can speak about as far as uh, drone technology and incorporating it into your program?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, obviously we see the need to start thinking in that direction because we're going there. Um, so you know, you were talking about how, how Bill has embraced the idea of drones, and I think that's important. I, I think f- even for those people who are kind of still kicking and screaming when it comes to drones, you just you gotta give up. <laughs> it's that, 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 that battle is, is long long won and it's um we're kind of in the matter of time phase now. And um my encouragement and actually it's funny, um, even among our own students, uh, it's one of the questions that I ask and I, I'm fortunate enough to get to teach one of our survey classes that everybody takes when they enter the program. And one of the questions we ask when we cover um the first section on airspace is whether or not they believe that uh, unmanned aircraft should be in the national airspace system. I and mean, it's hilarious the number of them that are vehemently opposed to it and the number of them that are, oh, no, let's get rid of airplanes and just have unmanned aircraft. You know, it's <laughs> it's a real, it's a total 50-50 uh, split, you know, even among our audience. So um, there's still, and a lot of that is still a lot of misinformation. And I appreciate, Bill, the way you explain that because it's really simple. And, and actually the, the restrictions that are in place right now for operating small UASs uh, they're, they're good limitations they make sense um, and when followed i think they absolutely um, contribute to public aviation safety i don't think there's any issue there at all um, and in fact our um, our whole use of unmanned aircraft um, at Polk State is a partnership actually with our local airport with the lake Regional Regional airport um, to actually uh, the, the the airport the aviation community that is within Polk county is Kind of come together uh, to get a um, sort of a public 333 with a with a specific COA uh, for the area around the Lakeland Regional Airport, which has not been done before, um, and is a really oddball kind of thing to do. But I, I think that's kind of. Um, someone – it's like one of my students said to another student the other day, there is no box here. You, you can't be outside of the box because there was no box to begin with. We don't believe in the box. Um, so we kind of think in think in bigger picture. And um, when it comes to a 333 request, um, as a public institution, um, de- there's even debate among institutions about – whether or not that's necessary or not, and a lot of schools like uh, like Auburn, like University of North Dakota, have applied for and obtained 333 exemptions, whether they need them or not, just because it's better to be safe than sorry. And and I think that's probably just to make sure that all of that. And and because it's a public process, I think it's a good it's a good um, show of public trust. And we're not doing anything in a corner over here, guys. I mean, it's all public. You can see what we're doing, and and we want you to to catch on to it and and to enjoy it. But uh, um, our our aim is actually unique in that in our procedures manual and our 333 exemption we actually make that a project for the students so they create the documentation. Our human factors class um, this semester actually put together the first draft of our operating manual um, to as their class project. so it's using using unmanned aircraft as part of a degree program certainly that's a direction we're moving in want to go that direction without a doubt. But even getting there, I think, is an educational process too. So we've involved our students in that from the very beginning so that they can get that understanding of okay, what is a small unmanned aircraft system? What can you do with it? What can't you do with it? And in addition to learning that information for them, they can also be the people who go out amongst other people and say, hey, guys. You you actually totally misunderstand what what this is, and they can actually be those uh, those people who are educating other people too. So I I think that's an important part of the process, just to get the public support on board, and that largely hinges around just basic understanding of what the stuff is and what it does.
3: Sounds like um, you need some CFIs for drones.
2: <laughs> well,
3: <laughs> well when I know you're in a guy. Central Florida, Bill, you can come over anytime I, I, you yeah, want. I know a guy. You know a guy.
1: Uh, a match made in heaven here or on a podcast but they you know this is actually really fascinating just listening to the two of you talk i I was going to ask your opinion about drones but i don't have to both of you smiling i can hear it uh this this to me is it's really is the golden age of of flight for drones and for unmanned aircraft systems uh but eric i'd like to get your opinion first then bills you know where are we going you know, I, I want I want Eric's
2: prediction. Where are we going with this? What, what's going? What is the future? <laughs> that's such a great question. You know, there are a, a really outstanding university programs all over the country that are focused very heavily on the DoD aspects of unmanned aircraft, the Predators, uh, the Reapers, the Global Hawks. Um, you know, international reconnaissance and uh, military operations and stuff like that. And I think that's that's great. I, I think that's something we should absolutely be focusing on because it does keep people out of harm's way and it gives us more intelligence in the military sphere uh, than we ever had before but I think if we focus on that solely we really miss the point point. Um, and at least for our purposes at Polk State College I mean sure we'll talk about the history and the implementation of, of drones in the military sphere but the focus of our program is on commercial use stateside and small UAS because that's to me you're not, I don't see a day where I'm going to walk out in my backyard and the the guy at the farm down the road is going to be, you know, surveying his crops with a predator. It's just not going to happen, um, in my personal opinion, that the platform's too expensive to operate. And that's not what it was purpose built for. The cool thing about UAS is that each individual platform can be so purpose specific for what you're doing with it. If you're looking at crops or you're surveying land or you're Uh, checking for water temperature, whatever it is that you're doing, it's so easy to purpose build the platform as opposed to what we've always done with with aircraft where we had to adapt the aircraft for the purpose we were trying to fly it for. With this, it's not like that. It's okay, let's take this thing off and put that thing on and and you're good to go and it's the same functional platform that you had before um, just with a different sensor package or payload on it. So, you know, I see... State said, you know, is Amazon going to be delivering packages to my door with a drone? Probably not. Not in the short term. Are we going to be flying an unmanned commercial aircraft? I don't think so. Probably not in my lifetime. I'm not ruling it out. um, But I think in in, in the short term, what we're looking at is the same thing we saw happen with the military, just a a vast amount of information um, available to us that we didn't have before. The type of um, information we need to um, expedite and make our businesses more efficient. Um, ultimately, I think that's uh, that's where we're going. That's my prediction, I guess
1: interesting and and i i think that those are there's are some great predictions and uh you know i i'm so excited about these and, and moving forward with the drones in many ways i think it really enhances lives and saves lives uh you know call me selfish i i love to watch like, like those tv shows where they talk about the real estate and i see this little drone fly above the house and and look around and i, I love that from a from an entertainment standpoint i think it's and hopefully awesome.
2: they got a 333 for that right now. I, I
1: would i would hope so <laughs> hopefully Cause you, that's legal because You can see the drone actually in the shadow as they're flying above uh but i i think too that this is this is a whole conversation that we're going to continue to have over and over but i i'm one that embraces it and i think it's it's terrific my biggest uh uh concern i should say is is the sense and avoid technology i actually fly over drones all the time when i'm landing on one three left over at, at JFK, you know, there's there's this little field down there, and it's called Floyd Bennett Field, and on that field they have all these recreational flyers down there. Uh, my biggest concern would be, you know, how are we going to keep them separated? And I, I tell you what, I'm getting lots and lots of emails from, from different aviation organizations with the airlines that are talking about uh, safety and the near-misses, quote-unquote, with the drones. But, uh, but I don't want to pepper and, and spoil uh, Bill's thunder here. Bill, you know, as far as the, go, the drones, where, where are we going with UAS or drones?
3: Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll definitely not disagree with anything that Eric said. I agree with all of that. I look at it, I, I hate to predict. I mean, you know what? I'm, I'm an investigator. Predicting is not good. Um, this is, uh, again, this is Bill, by the way. This is not um, any sort of position of my employer, my day job. But I think where we are with drones right now is, a lot of people say the Wild West, but I think we're about in 1927. Uh, we're in the barnstormer era. We've got technology that came out of the military, and it's having this uh, synergy with, um, with the civilian uh, technology that's growing very quickly. So if you were to ask uh, a person in 1927, where are we going with, with aviation, I don't you know, you would get an amazingly wide variety of predictions. Would anyone in 1927 be able to predict what we have today with highly automated aircraft flying all over the world with pinpoint timing and accuracy, um, and a space program, et cetera, et cetera? No way. So, yeah, we're there. We're we're in that barnstormer era, and we're going to get to see just about everything develop. It's going to be amazing.
1: Yeah, I certainly think it's going to be absolutely incredible. And I, I know Larry, you actually had, had an interesting question about sense and avoid and how it works with balloons, gliders and things like that. And, and, yeah. the, and, and, and drones. Yeah. Just, uh, the interaction of sense and avoid or see and avoid, you know, if you have eyeballs, they're not perfect. And we all know that we don't see everything as a pilot that's out there to see, but, um, uh, the conversations around sense and avoid for commercial operators that I've seen, uh, s- nobody's ever talking about non-electrical aircraft. So balloons, gliders, J3 Cubs, ultralights, skydivers, you know, whoever's out there
0: in the space. Um, how do, how do we keep those folks apart from the drones?
3: Uh, I'll, let me take that for just a quick second, Larry. Um, I think part of the discussion that ends up into the, into the public space talks about sense and avoid as if it's a thing and we're really talking about a concept of drones and other aircraft and other things in the air and things that poke into the air like cell phone towers and mountains and buildings are, are all part of that equation so think sure. more of sense and avoid as a concept rather than a gadget so there we're looking – I mean I know there's research in all kinds of different technologies, but some of them are uh, not just electronic. There are you know, various other you know, magnetic and um, uh, pressure type of sensors because drones also, because they operate much closer to the ground and the obstacles, also need to be able to avoid obstacles that aren't cooperative. So if you can do that, then your gliders and your hang gliders and your skydivers are part of that equation as well. So think of sense and avoid as more of a – concept rather than a one single gadget or one single technology
1: that's a great explanation on the sense and avoid but uh, you know larry just to your point also sense and avoid is it includes just all of what he talked about in our own worlds Includes visuals. I mean, we yeah. we right now look for gliders. We look for the J three Cubs, the ultralights. As an airliner flying around, I see gliders, you know, and, and I have to I have yeah. to avoid them visually. And and you're right. I mean, you you have those uh, skydivers. Uh, near airports where we're flying into, so you have to make sure that you maneuver in, out of those areas or away from those areas, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Now the drones, we take that another step further to another aircraft that's flying in the airspace, and uh, and I think I personally think it's going to be fascinating uh, what we do in the future with Sense and Avoid, uh, having in the past been in computers and and using artificial intelligence to try to, to determine if something that's walking around an airport is a bunny rabbit or is it somebody with a, a man pad, you know, uh, and and making sure the security knows about it. So uh, that's a kind of a, you know, sensing that and then and figuring out what it is and do we need to send security out there and and, and what type of systems we might have or artificial intelligence maybe that's built in. Neat stuff, though, really neat stuff. Uh, really Definitely. excited about that. Um, you know, guys, uh, we're going to have, w- amazingly enough, every time we have Bill on, we, we never get to everything we want to ask Bill, but we'd love to have you back <laughs> on again if we could. I mean, I, I would, we have so many more topics that we want to discuss with you, and I'd love to have you back.
3: Well, the next time I do get three different certificates in three months, uh, you can have me back.
0: Yeah, no, no, we, we've got... <laughs> the After Landing Checklist.
1: We have all sorts of questions to ask you, not you know, not from your day job and all. Just you know, as a reminder, you know, obviously, all these these answers that you're you're giving now are, are your personal feelings, and and they don't represent any of the organizations that you you're involved with or the or your employer. Um, but it's really interesting to have you on because you know what's going to happen is in when we have you back on, you're you're going to have accomplished something really fascinating and and amazing and not only are you involved in aviation you're you're pretty competitive in just about everything you do i mean uh, i i think the last time we spoke you were in the area doing uh, some competitive shooting uh so that's fascinating that you do all that
3: yeah, I'll be actually. I'll be getting up at 4 a.m. tomorrow as well to head out to West Virginia to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's it. it, yeah. it, it yeah, so so you don't want to mess with Bill. That's for sure. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> Have
2: fun. <laughs> well, Bill. Bill, on that note, just you know the competitive thing uh, coming up. Uh, there are uh, several of our state colleges that are looking at uh, unmanned aircraft who are putting together. I would say putting together, talking about putting together um, a racing league. So um, if you want to come over and if you want to come over and fly first person with us and try to not run into a tree, um, (laughs) you're more than welcome to come over and see how that goes. Um, Yeah, that looks like fun. Use the cheap technology for that.
3: Oh, yeah, that looks like fun. I've seen some of those guys. That's amazing.
2: We're trying to put something together for that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Is that going to compete with the flight team, Eric? Am I going to be out of a job soon? Well, I, I think you're just going to have to get drone proficient, Carl. That's you know. Oh
1: boy, here we go. Just
2: one more thing I can teach you. Carl. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I learned a lot from you, Eric. That's for sure. And and, and gosh, it's been awesome having you back, Eric.
2: I mean, it's, it's been, been great so, to yeah. be here. I'm sorry I've been so yeah. uh, so busy and all, all over the place, but it's great to get back and talk to you, uh-huh. aviation crazy people.
1: You know we we really wanted to get a, a couple more topics and we want to, we'll get them in next time. We have a whole list of them and of course a lot of them come from listener mail but uh and a lot of them come from from our hosts here and uh you know I'd love to get your feedback from the listeners as to you know how you like what we're doing now with with multiple co-hosts and I I think it's been great bringing more people to this conversation. Uh the fact that during this this podcast you learn something while you're listening to this i learn something we all do and we also have a heck of a lot of fun uh we we really are truly passionate about aviation everybody here on this podcast bill i hope you'll come back uh you'll promise to come back right
3: Oh, you know where to find me. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Terrific,
1: and uh, you know, and from myself, and and from Eric Crump, and and Rick Felty, and Tom Frick, and Larry Overstreet, and uh, of course Bill English. We really appreciate your listening this evening. Uh, we we definitely have so many more things that that we will see coming up in the future. Look for a couple more things uh, on the Stuck Mike Avcast. We're going to have some more videos, uh, also some instructional ones, and also we're going to start doing some more. Interviews And uh, there's a lot of really cool things in the works right now. And uh, don't forget to visit our sponsors at uh, aerospacescholarships.com. Well, folks, go out and uh, try something new. You know, go out and have some fun flying. And uh, we'll talk to you next episode. We really had a lot of fun
0: talking to everybody. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast.